If you could take your Bibles and open them up to Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, and this morning we will be looking at verses 5 to 7. Originally it was verses 5 to 11, and then I thought to myself, I'd like to send you home, so I changed it to verses 5 to 7. So let's read God's word together. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. As we think of this passage, I want to ask you to do a difficult thing this morning. And the thing I want to ask you to do is this. I want you to think about the deepest sin that you are struggling with right now in your life. I want you to take some time this morning and take this seriously and think about the deepest struggle with sin you have right now in your life. It is the sin that is most pervasive in your life. It is the sin that keeps niggling at you again and again. It is the sin that you've been wanting to get rid of, but it seems like you can't. It is most likely a sin that you wouldn't want to share with anyone else. Most likely, but maybe not. It is most likely a sin that you have wanted to keep in the darkness, and that's exactly what Satan would have you do with your sin, rather than bring out into the light. What is the sin that you are really struggling with in your life? I want you to think about that. And as you think about that sin, here's what I want you to do. Ask yourself this question. What are you doing with that sin right now? What are you doing with that sin that you are most struggling with in your life right now? What are you doing with that sin? Because I think there are many things that we we do with that type of sin. There are many things that we end up, many ways that we end up responding to that type of sin. One of the ways we respond to that type of sin is we, to our shame, ignore it. We like to pretend sometimes those types of sins that pervade our life, we like to ignore it. Because we're so ashamed about it, we don't even want to think about it. And even me doing that exercise with you this morning to have you think about the deepest sin, you don't even want to take part in that, you don't even want to do it, because you would prefer to ignore it. So that is one of the things that we do with this this type second thing that we can do with this type of sin is we can minimize that sin. Not just ignore it, but minimize it. And how we minimize that sin is something like this. We rationalize it in our minds by saying, actually, this sin isn't too bad. It's not that big a deal. I don't really do it that often. It's not really part of my life. And so what you do is you rationalize it and you minimize it. The third thing we can do with that sin is not only ignore it and minimize it, but we can play with it. 
We can bring these types of sins that we struggle with out as a kind of a crutch in our life that when things are going bad, when things are going wrong, when life is stressful, I will bring out that sin and I will play with it. I will keep it in my life. There is a fourth thing that we can do with this sin. It's probably one of the worst of all. We moan about it. We know it's in our life. We know it's there. We do the opposite of ignoring it. We moan about it all the time. And maybe we feel guilty about it, but all we are doing with it is moaning about it. And so what I would suggest to you that from this text, we are not told to ignore it, to minimize it, to play with it, to moan about it. Do you know what I think this text is telling us to do with that type of sin in our lives? We, it is calling us to kill it. Not ignore it, not minimize it, not play with it, not put it aside, not moan about it. But we are called in this text to kill it in our lives. And that is the command it says to us. See that in verse 5? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Don't play with it. Don't ignore it. Don't minimize it. What does it say? Kill it. Put it to death. And that tells us something about the Christian life, I think. What that tells us about the Christian life is this. The Christian life is not a game. In the Christian life, we are actually at war. And one of the problems I think we have in our Christian lives is we forget that we are in a battle. We forget that we are at war. We forget that this is what is happening in our lives. And so I remember there was this time, me and Luana, we were visiting this church. It was a long time ago. I won't tell you the name of the church and I won't tell you where the church was. But we were visiting this church together. It was a long time ago. And after the guy gave his kind of 15 minute little devotional to the people and, and they all sat down and everybody felt good about themselves. Then at the end of the service, here's what they asked us to do. They asked us all to stand up. And this is what I think is part of the problem. They asked us all to stand up, look at the screen and recite this kind of um, church agreement that they had with one another. But not only did they ask us to stand up, do you know what they asked us to do? Hold hands together. So here I was in this strange church, holding hands with Luana, yes, which is normal, but holding hands with another man in the church. And then kind of making this commitment. And then as I was thinking to myself, as I was kind of holding hands with this other man, and as we were kind of all holding hands together, I thought to myself, that's exactly the problem. That's exactly the problem. This is probably one of the reasons why the the ratio to men and women in the churches, it's totally different. No man is going to want to come in and hold hands with people in church. And sometimes I think we forget that we are in a battle We're not playing games. We're not just to sit around holding hands, singing kumbaya all the time. We are in a battle. We are at war. And don't get me wrong. Of course, the scripture is saying we are to be kind to one another and loving and compassionate. That is what we're going to be called to. And in two weeks time, we're going to look at a passage that talks about that. But here right now, it is telling us that we are at war. There is a battle. And if you don't realize that, Your Christian life is in serious trouble. Paul talks about this war in Ephesians 6 when he says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And he goes on in all of chapter 6 to tell us that we need to put on the whole armor of God. 
that we too are in a battle, that we are not playing games. And this, I think, is the problem with our Christianity. Have you ever had one of those kind of um, what we would call a lazy day? You know, you have those lazy days, probably a Christmas or something like that, where everybody stays in pajamas. You have a lazy day, you watch movies or whatever. I can only stand for about a day of one of those. After that, I am sick of it. If you go into day two, day three, day four, you're going to be lethargic. You're going to hate it. You're going to be useless and, and, and useful for nothing. And here's the problem, I think, and this could be a problem for some of us in this room. That we are living our Christianity like that. That is not just a lazy day, but we've been living lazy weeks, lazy months, maybe even lazy years in our faith. And it's like we've been lying down on a couch this whole time and we're not taking part in the battle. We are not fighting the fight of faith. We're just lying down on the couch of faith. And so this is what this text calls us to do. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Don't ignore it. Don't minimize it. Don't play it down. Don't, don't play with it. Put it to death. And you see that word, therefore. We've looked at that many times over the last few weeks. What he is doing is making a conclusion on the basis of what he has just said. And last week, what we were talking about was the heavenly life. That heavenly life where we are to be seeking heaven, thinking about heaven, longing for heaven. But if we are going to live a heavenly life, we must put to death what is earthly. If we are going to be heavenly, we must put to death what is earthly in us. And here is what it says. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Do not let it live. Do not let it stay in your life. Now, some of you may say, well, why am I to put to death what is earthly in me? Why am I to put to death sin in my life? Is it not true to say that Christ's death has dealt with all of my sin, past, present, and future? And is it not true to say that through his death, I am now dead to my sin? Is that not true to say? And I would say, yes, it is. Through his death you have died to sin. Yes, it is true. But what we need to remember is three really important words in relation to this and in relation to all that is going on. We need to remember three really important words. And some of you will know these words really well and some of you won't know these words really well, but they're really important. The first word is this, justification. The first word that is really important for us to understand is the word justification. That when we believed in Christ by faith, we were declared righteous before Him. We were made right before Him. And so we have verses like this. There is therefore now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are justified, which means we are delivered, we are forgiven, we are changed, we are transferred. We are justified. And then the second word is this. So at one time when I believed in him by faith, when I trusted in him by faith, I was justified. But then we realize the second word and the second word is this. We will be glorified. 
So I long and wait for the day then that he will appear and when he appears, I will appear. And on that day, I will be in my glorified state, which means no more death, no more sin, no more sorrow. There I will be with him where I was meant to be. And then the question is, what happens between our justification and our glorification? Is there something that happens between when I am justified and when I am glorified? And the answer is yes. What happens between your justification and your glorification is your sanctification. And that is where the fight is. Because you will realize in your life that though you are dead to the power of sin in your life, Though you are dead to the condemning power of sin in your life, you are not dead to the influence of sin in your life. Which means there is still a battle going on, my friends. And that is where God is working in your life to sanctify you and make you holy. And you continue on in your walk with Him. And in there lies the fight of Christianity. Yes, I am justified. Yes, I will be glorified. And until that day I am glorified, I am still in a fight. And I am called to put to death my sin. And so this is the big command of these verses. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he lists out that which can be earthly in us. He has this little little kind of pattern here. He has a command, he has the list of sins, and he has the reasons. The command is put to death. The list of sins then is this. There's five of them. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. We need to put to death these things. Now remember who Paul is talking to. Who is Paul talking to? Paul's talking to Christians. Paul's saying to Christians who are saved, who have died to sin in Christ Jesus, he is saying to them, put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. He is saying to that, that to Christians. Now, I'd imagine that Paul knows something about the Colossian church, even though he has not met them yet. Because Epaphras has come to him and reported to him about the church. So I would imagine that the reason Paul says this command is because there is a struggle of sexual immorality in the church. And so he says to them, you need to put this to death in your life. You cannot live with this in your life. You need to battle it. You need to fight it. You need to put it to death until you get to glory. Because until you get to that day, you will not be perfected. So fight this battle of faith. And he uses that word. I won't go through all of the words, but he uses that word sexual immorality. And when he uses the word sexual immorality, that word is kind of a catch-all word. The word is porneia, from which we get our word pornographic from. And so this idea of putting to death sexual immorality is this, put to death porneia in you. Put to death anything that would be earthly in you. And sexual immorality is kind of a catch-all phrase for any sexual act that is outside of the marriage between a man and a woman. Any sexual act outside of marriage between a man and a woman is considered as sexual immorality. Any act. 
whether it be heterosexual sin or homosexual sin, any act that is outside of the confines of marriage between man and a woman is sin. And people will say, you cannot draw the boundaries like that. That is not loving to draw the boundaries like that. And all I would say is this, everybody has a boundary. Everybody has a boundary. Everybody will say there shouldn't be uh, sexual immorality within your family. Everybody will say there shouldn't be sexual immorality with um, an animal. Everybody will say there shouldn't, shouldn't be sexual immorality with a minor. Everybody will say that. Everybody has a boundary. The question is, where do you get those boundaries from? Why would all those things be wrong? Who says all those things would be wrong? We know where we get our boundaries from, and it is the Scripture, and it is God. Everybody has boundaries. Everybody draws the line somewhere. The Scripture draws the line at marriage between man and a woman. We are to put to death this sin. In fact, I think if you are looking for the will of God in your life, we we do this all the time. We want to know God's plan for our life. We want to know God's will for our life. And I think sometimes his will is very simple for us. In fact, Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians 4 when he says this, For this is the will of God, the will of God, this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the reason I talked about that word and those words. We need to know them. The will of God is your sanctification. What does he say? That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. The will of God for your life. If you are a Christian, if you are following after God, the will of God for your life is that you would put to death sexual immorality in your life. That you would not let it stand in your life. He goes on and he says these other words, impurity, which is, which is similar, impurity, uh, as opposed to purity, which is holiness. He carries on and he says passion, which relates to lust. He carries on and he says evil desire and this reality of desire for something that is not yours. But then he says this other word, covetousness. And you kind of wonder to yourself, how did that make the list? If he's talking about sexual sin, it seems like covetousness, like adding that onto the list, doesn't really make sense. But then when you think about what coveting is, what it is, is an unusual desire to have something that is not yours and doesn't belong to you. And that does not just come with possessions. And so with covetousness, we could translate it as greed. And David Garland says this, he puts it better than I could. He says this about greed. Greed refers to the haughty and ruthless belief that everything, refers to the belief that everything, including other people, exists for your own personal amusement, purposes, and pleasures. Everything exists for me. That is this word, covetousness. And so you can see how that would fit into this idea of sexual immorality. That if you want something that is outside of the confines of marriage, if that you have an unholy desire for these things, then you are taking part in sexual immorality. And all of it, he says, is idolatry. Which means basically what you're doing when you take part in these things, you are worshipping who? Are you worshipping God? No, you are worshipping you. And all of that is idolatry. 
And brothers and sisters, this is what we are called to do in our lives. We are called to put to death the sin in our lives. Now, what is that going to mean for us? Because, because what would be a failure for us to do right now is for you to sit there and nod your head, yes, 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 that's right, we should put it to death, we should put it to death. And what would be a failure for us would be to walk away from this room and do nothing about that. That would be a failure for us. If we were to do that, we wouldn't properly be listening to God's word in our life. So what then should we do? I want to suggest to you two confessions and one action. Two confessions and one action. The first confession I want to suggest to you is this, of course. To confess your sin to God. If you are going to put this sin to death, you need to confess your sin to God. That is a proper and right application of what he is calling us to do. To confess our sins to God. This is why I think moaning about this sin is so dangerous. Because you can moan about your sin all day long. And you can moan about it so much that you can almost feel like you have dealt with it. You can moan about it so much that you can always feel like, okay, I'm guilty enough right now so I can move on. You can moan about it all the time, but you are not confessing it. And so there's a difference between moaning and confessing. And so what we're called to do in Scripture is to confess our sins. And you know the text I'll have for this is 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I would suggest to you with the sin of sexual immorality, if we say we have no sin in that area, it is probably that the truth is not in us. Because this pervades our thoughts, our sight, our speech, and our actions. It pervades our desires for something that is outside of the confines of marriage. We need to confess that sin. And what does this verse say to us? When we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins. This is why you should confess to Him because you will be forgiven of the sin. That is why it is step number one. Confess to Him. Number two, I would say confess to one another. Confess to Him and then confess to one another. And people get this switched around the wrong way. They think, oh, I'll confess to someone that will make me feel better. And then they don't confess to God. No, we must confess to God because that is where we will be forgiven. But if we confess to other people, that is where we will have prayer. That is where we will have help. That is where we will have people walking alongside of us. And the text I have for that is James 5.16. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Confess to God and confess to one another. Now you have to be careful with that James verse because that James verse is talking about um, physical healing. But I do think that the principle is there. That we can confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. And so ever, ever since I've been 15 years old, praise God, God has always given me someone alongside of me that I can talk with about pretty much any area in my life. 
can talk with them. They can pray for me. Have I been let down? Yes, absolutely. Have I felt betrayed by certain of those people? Yes, I have. But I praise God that majority of the time, through consistency and talking with people in prayer, God has helped me with other believers to walk this race of faith together. So pray that God would put someone else in your life that you could talk to about these things. And finally, I would say, take action. Take action. You can confess to God. You can confess to other people. But if you don't do anything about it, if you just keep going and going and going, that's not going to do anything for you. And so the action I would suggest to you that you need to do is cut something off. And this is what Jesus says to us. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the mem- one of your members of your of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. And what, of course, he is not saying is literally cut off your hand or or rip out your eye. But what he is saying is you might need to, in relation to this sin, that is what he is talking about. Jesus is talking about sexual immorality in that context. If something is causing you to sin, you need to cut it off. Now, what might that mean? It might be painful. And that is exactly the point. That is exactly the point. We need to take action. If we're going to put to death our sin, we need to cut it off. So what that might mean for some of us is we might need to end some relationships and cut them off. We might need to stop emailing someone or calling someone or texting someone or flirting with these uh, wrong and sinful desires. If they're outside of the confines of your marriage... You need to cut it off. It may mean for some, and it has meant for some, that they would get rid of their phones, that they would get rid of their computers, that they would get rid of their TVs. It has meant for some that. And it may mean that for some of you. I'm not going to prescribe that to you. But what I've been asking the Holy Spirit to do in your lives this week is to point that directly out to you. As you pray, as you confess your sin, ask Him to point out to you what needs to be cut off in your life. And you say to me, well, that is going to be too hard and there is no way I can do that. And Paul gives you two reasons for why you should. Look at verse 6. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. What Paul is saying here is, see that list? You have this command, put it to death. See that list? You see it in your life? This is what you are to put it to death. Then Paul says, here's why you are to put it to death. And the first reason he gives is because of the coming judgment. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And who is he saying that to? 
He is saying that to Christians. He is not saying it to non-Christians. He is warning Christians on account of these. What are these? That's the list he's just said. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. The furious anger and judgment of God against sin is coming on these things. And therefore you need to put these things to death. God will not let the guilty go unpunished. And so the wrath of God is coming. People find this so hard to think that the wrath of God, that that could be in the same sentence, the wrath of God, because is not God love? But if you were to say that God is only love and is only ever love, then you would have to say that God would just love everything. That he'd let everybody get away with everything. There would be no justice. There would be no judgment. There would be no punishment. And if God were to do that, then he would not be a loving God. And he would not be a just judge. But he is. There is a day of wrath. And on that day of wrath, there will be some who will go into the light of the glory of God's presence forever. And there will be some who will be thrown into the darkness. There will be some who will go into his presence where there will be no more tears. And there will be some who go into the presence where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be some who will go to the place where there is no more death. And there will be some who will go to the place of the second death. There will be some on that day who will go to the place where there is the river of life. And there are some who will go to the place where there is the lake of fire. Make no mistake about it. The judgment and wrath of God is coming because of these things. But notice what he says. He says, is coming. And that is his grace. Because what does is coming mean? Is coming means it has not yet come. Which means you have time to repent. God is gracious. God is slow to anger. And in fact, he is so gracious to you right now that he would give you a warning. Don't know if you've ever walked beside a cliff before, but if you've ever walked beside a cliff before, sometimes you might see those signs of warning. And what those signs of warning give you is they give you an opportunity not to go any further to your death. They give you an opportunity to turn around right now. And what God is doing for you this morning is He is giving you opportunity by His grace to to repent and turn from your sin. He is saying to you, His wrath is coming, but it has not yet come. And until the day it comes, you have time to repent. And turn from your sin. And know that God's judgment will be on these things. The last thing Paul says, the last reason he gives, is in these two you once walked, verse 7, when you were living in them. Put to death these things, because the wrath of God is coming. And put to death these things, because this is not who you are. I've heard Luana say to the, to the children recently as, as we've dropped them off somewhere, she has, she has said to one of them this, remember who you are. And I think that's a perfect statement to say. Remember who you are. 
And in that, do you know what she is saying to them? Remember how we've raised you. Remember how we have taught you. Remember who you are. And that's what Paul is saying here to us. You need to remember who you are. You are dead to these things. You have been forgiven. You have been delivered. You have been transferred. Remember who you are and put these things to death. One of the fav- one of my favorite books that I've read in, in my life and that I reread in my life is a book called, um, it was written by this guy, John Owen, in the, in the 1600s, and it, it is a book called The Mortification of Sin. In fact, I, I've read it with a couple of people in this room. It is a book called The Mortification of Sin, and to translate that to you, it is a book called Putting Sin to Death. He wrote a whole book on this idea of putting sin to death. His key verse was in chapter 8 that Henna read. His next verse was in here that I've read. The putting to death of sin. And I want you to hear what he said in that book. It is one of my favorite quotes from the book and I'm going to uh, translate it in the Shane translation. It says this. Do you mortify? Ask yourself this question. Do you mortify? Do you put to death? Do you make it your daily work in life? Be always at this work while you are living. Never stop doing this work. And then he says, Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. And that, my friends, is what we are called to do. Put it to death. Kill sin in our lives. If we do not do this, it will kill us and destroy us. I want us to stand and sing in response, O church, arise. So let us stand and sing before our time, brief time at the Lord's table. O church, arise.